0: Guys, we're still going to be in John chapter 17 this morning as we continue this series that we've begun looking at what the Bible um, scholars have called this high priestly prayer of Christ. Um, It's called a high priestly prayer because Jesus in in this prayer serves as both our priest and our sacrifice. He is our priest who represents our needs to the Father. But he's also our, our priest in the sense that he presents a sacrifice for our sins and our shortcomings. He, his sacrifice is himself. And in this prayer, what Jesus provides for us, and, and, and understand this, this is a prayer that Jesus prayed out loud in front of his disciples. They were allowed to listen in and to hear as Jesus prays, and they get this intimate glimpse of his communion with the Father as he intercedes first for himself and that he might bring glory to the Father. And now this passage this week where he intercedes for the 11 disciples. And then the passage we'll follow up with next week where he intercedes for all those who would believe uh, as a result of the testimony of the disciples. So what Jesus is going to do here is give us this this glimpse into this communion that he has with the Father as he intercedes for believers. And, And here's the neatest thing, and I just want to throw this out there at the very beginning. While Jesus interceded for the disciples right before he went to the cross, do you know what the Bible says Jesus is doing right now? That's right, Miss Nancy. He's interceding for us even now. So as he intercedes for the disciples then, we get a glimpse of what he may be praying for us and interceding for us even now as he is before the Father interceding for us. Um, I want us to look at this, uh, this great passage in John chapter 17 today. We'll look at verses 6 through 19. So we've got a, a bigger passage to, to unpack this week, but there's a lot of repetition in this, in this prayer a lot of things that refer back, and I'll just say this right up front, if you wanted to get a deeper understanding of what is taking place in John chapter 17, it would be really cool to go back and look at John chapter 14, 15, and 16, it's all part of this same discourse where Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, he's preparing his disciples, it's kind of like he's turned the corner, and in John 14, 15, and 16, he's laying the groundwork for where he's about to go. And a lot of what he mentions in his prayer in John 17 is, is unpacked a little more thoroughly in in chapters 14, 15, and 16. So we can't unpack all that today, but if you want to go deeper in your studies, that's a great place to go back and look at John 14, 15, and 16, and it really helps make this prayer come uh, even more uh, alive. So John chapter 17, we'll begin in verse 6. Um, I'll make a few comments as we go, but, but I want to come back and, and, and pull some things together. Because, because this passage, he hits on several topics in different places, we'll kind of come back and pull those topics together at the end. But let's just kind of walk through and see what Jesus is saying. In, in verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the people. In other words, I've made known your name, God, to the people. And when he talks about making known God's name, he's talking about God's character, his nature, uh, God's attributes. In other words, Jesus... Jesus is what the Bible says is the full and the final revelation of God. So if you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know how God behaves, you look at how Jesus behaved. If you want to know what's on the heart of God, you've got to look at what's on the heart of Jesus. And so he's saying here, Lord, I have made your name. I have manifested your name to the people And not just all the people, but to the people that you gave me out of this world, out of the world. So he's talking about the disciples that God has given to him. And Jesus is going to make some interesting claims as he goes through. He's going to say, Jesus, these guys belong to you, but you gave them to me. And, and everything that belongs to me, I'm giving back to you. And so there is this, this inner dynamic between the father and the son that whatever belongs to the father is also the son's. And whatever belongs to the son is also the father's. And Jesus hints at that right here. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I've made yourself, your name known to those that you have given me out of this world. So there's a picture here that the disciples were called out of the world. The, The the Greek word for church is the word ekklesia, which means the called out ones. We we still live in this world but we're not called to, to be like the world. We've been called out of the world, called to be different, to be set apart. Uh, he'll use the word at the end of this about being sanctified, to mean to be, to be called out and to be made different than the world. So he says, I, I've made you known to those that you've given me out of this world. In other words, the disciples that you've now called out of this world. He says, yours they were. In other words, they belonged to you before they ever belonged to me. Yours they were. And you gave them to me. So here's a picture of, of the Father giving the Son. One of the one of the gifts from eternity past that the Father had promised to the Son was a bride. And the church uses the image, I mean the, the Bible uses the image of the church being the bride of Christ. And here is the birth of the church. And so the promise that God had made to his son in eternity past that I have a bride for you. This is being fulfilled here. And Jesus says, listen, this, this, this was your plan. This, they were yours, and you've given them to me. And they have kept your word. Now, this doesn't mean the disciples were perfect. In fact, we will see in the garden and we would see in the, in the arrest and in the, in the, in the crucifixion of Jesus that they all abandoned Jesus, and they failed miserably. Jesus is not trying to say these guys have got it perfect. But here's what he's saying. While the rest of the world rejected the truth that I've given these guys have embraced it while the rest of the world is having a, a trouble believing that I am a messiah that I've come from you when I say that that I and the father are one or that that the father sent me the world the jews the even the, the the religious people look at me and say that I'm blaspheming you but these guys are different these guys have heard the truth and they have received it they have believed the truth and so he says they have they've have held on they've kept the word they're not fully mature, but their hearts have bought into the gospel. Now that's, that's a good thing for us because none of us are fully mature, right? None of us have come to, to say, I've got a full grasp upon the, 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 the truth revealed in the Bible. But yet we can say, I've bought into this. There's still more to be learned, but I believe that Jesus is who he says he was. I believe that Jesus did what he said he, he did. I believe that Jesus accomplished for us a salvation that we could never earn or never deserve. And, and so that's what Jesus is saying about the disciples. Not that they've kept the word of God perfectly. Not that they don't make mistakes. Not that they don't stumble and fall. Not that they won't forsake me in the garden. Peter won't deny me in that courtyard. Not that the disciples, even after I'm resurrected, some still doubted. He's not saying that. He's saying, but these guys have bought in. They have kept the word. I've given them the word. The world, the rest of the world's rejected it. But these guys have embraced it. So that's what Jesus is saying here. They've kept your word. Verse 7. Now, they know everything that you have given me is from you. What's Jesus saying here? Jesus didn't come on the scene saying, listen, I have superior knowledge. I am superhuman. I I know things that other people don't know. And I've just come to this conclusion on my own. That would bring great glory to Jesus, right? But Jesus' aim was always to bring glory to the Father. So Jesus says in John 14, 15, 16, in in those passages that I mentioned earlier, Jesus says, "I, I speak what the Father gives me. I do what the Father tells me to do. I just move when God says move, and I stay still when God says to stay still. When when God speaks to me, then I reveal that to you. And so Jesus is always giving glory to the Father. He's saying, these words that I speak are not my own, but they are the words that come from the Father. And so what Jesus is saying here is, Father, these guys know. I've told them enough that they know that everything that I have the, 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 the understanding, the wisdom, the knowledge, the, the, all that stuff that I have, Lord, it has come from you. So what Jesus is saying is, these guys know that I'm giving you glory in everything that I do, and everything that I say. God gets the glory. They know that everything you've given me, it's come from you. And then look what he says. For I have given them. Now you've given me, and what you've given me, I've given to them. I've given them the words that you gave me. So, Father, you've made things known to me, and I've turned around and made those things known to the disciples. And unlike the world, it says here, they receive them. So I've made it known to them. I've been the revealer of God, and they've received that truth, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you. And don't don't miss the phrase, they have come to know. It wasn't instant, it was a process. These men had walked with Jesus for three, three and a half years. And, and that was a process of discipleship and growth, and, and they've come to know. Now, they're still not there, and they still haven't arrived, and there's still more for them to learn, but they were the disciples. They were the ones who had walked with Jesus and seen and, and observed and listened to and, and been a part of all that he had done. And so he says here, they, they've been through this process, Lord, of discipleship where they're growing in their faith, and they're becoming more and more mature. They're, they're buying in. So, so not only have they received the truth, but they've come to know the truth, and the truth is that I came from you. They recognize my deity. They know that I'm just not an ordinary man, but that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. So he's praying about these disciples who are his, those who have received the word, those who have, have, um, have come to know the truth, and those who have believed that, that Jesus was sent by God. So they know his deity. They understand his mission and that was to be the Messiah sent by God. Now think about this. Of all the people that Jesus ever met, of all the people that Jesus interacted with, he he offers this prayer on behalf of the eleven who have walked with him. Now at this point in the prayer, Judas is already gone. Okay, And Jesus is not praying for Judas. He is praying for the eleven that remain. And And he says here uh, that in verse verse 9, he says, I am praying for them, these 11. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you've given me, for they are yours. Again, see this interchange between the Father and the Son. Those that you've given me, they're yours. Jesus saw himself like we need to see ourselves, not as the owner's, but as the stewards of everything that God had given him. Even when it comes to salvation, and, and Jesus is going to die on the cross, and he's going to purchase our salvation. He doesn't say, you're mine. But he says, those that the Father has given to me, they're, they're his. I've done all this for the glory of God. And so there is this stewardship principle that we see in the life of Jesus that he is living out for them. He says, those that you have have given me they are yours and then he says all mine are yours and yours are mine and i am glorified in them remember back in the beginning of chapter 17 what was Jesus' prayer for father that you would glorify me that i could glorify you Well, jesus is saying here you've glorified me through these 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 11 men they've brought glory to me our belief and our obedience also brings glory to christ and so Jesus says, "Look, those that you've given to me, they actually belong to you, Lord, and, and through their obedience and through their belief, they've brought glory to me, and, and I can bring glory to you, through them." He says, "I'm no longer in the world." He said, "Wait a minute, Jesus hasn't died yet. No, but Jesus knows His death is certain. And He is praying to the Father, knowing that, that death is imminent. He has just a few hours left to live. And in his heart and in his mind, he's already departed. He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are. They are in the world. But I'm coming to you, he says. Holy Father, it's the only time in Scripture this this phrase is used together, that John uses it here, is, is Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus is praying for these guys. He turns to the Father and says, Holy Father. And and he uses the word holy here, and it's going to come back at the end of this passage when he talks about sanctifying us. Holy means to be set apart, to be other than. And so God is something other than us. He is holy. He is set apart. He's going to ask at the end of this prayer for the eleven that they would be set apart, that they would also be made holy as God is holy, be set apart as God is set apart, as Christ is set apart. So, Holy Father, I want you to keep them in your name. Here's what he's asking. I want you to anchor them, secure them to you. I want you to make sure that they don't wander off, that they're not snatched away, that that their faith remains strong. It's a a picture of the security that we have in Christ. And Jesus is praying that the Father would, would secure them or anchor them to himself. And he says, it's that name which you've given me. And it's the name where the truth and the character of God that Jesus made known to them. Anchor them in those truths that they may be one even as we are one. now when he asks about them being one, there's a couple things I think that he means here. He says, I want you to make them one as we are one. So just as I'm connected to you, Father, I want you to connect them to you. I think that this this talk of oneness here works on, on, on the vertical and on the horizontal. If I am anchored to God, and you are anchored to God, guess what? We're going to be anchored together. And so he's not just saying, help them to get along and not fight. Help them not to have any church splits. He's not, that's not what he's asking for here. But he's saying, let, let them be anchored to us. Even as you and I are one, we are in perfect communion. Lord, everything that you have belongs to me. And, and everything that I have belongs to you. And, and, and we're in step. And what you say, I do. And, and, and there's obedience and there's submission. And there's all these things that are involved in this. And Lord, I ask that that would be the same way in their lives. That they would be anchored to to us and that by by them being anchored to us they would also be anchored to one another. I can't say I love God and yet not love his children. So Jesus is making this point here and he's saying I want you to, to draw them together and to make them one even as we are one. And then Jesus turns and he says this. He says while I was with them I kept them in your name. I anchored them to truth. I called them back to Scripture, to reality, to the truth of who you were. How many times do we see Jesus walking the roads of Galilee with the disciples and them arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And what does Jesus do? He calls them back to the truth. Let me tell you the truth. The truth is the greatest will be the least and the least will be the greatest. How many times are they arguing about who's going to sit on the right and who's going to sit on the left? How many times do we see in Scripture where Jesus just stops and calls them back to truth? And says, listen, you, you've, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. And he anchors them back to the truth. That's what discipleship does. That's what it means when we say that, that iron sharpens iron, is that we come together as believers and we constantly call people back to the truth, back to the gospel, back to the, the, the one thing that we know to be trustworthy. If we're not doing that for each other, then, then we're not imitating Christ. If we can't call people back to the truth, then, then, then what are we doing? So Jesus says here, I, I, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. I, I anchored them to the truth, which you have given me. I have guarded them, which means I've protected them. So I kept them. Is, is this I've preserved them. I've, 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 I've held them close. But I've also protected them. I've kept danger away from them. So I've kept them. I've guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction or the son of damnation, the son of perdition, some translations say, in order that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus knew from the very beginning that Judas would betray him. That was not a surprise. That was part of God's plan, that one of the 12, one of the inner circle, would betray Jesus and hand him over. That was decided before any of this came to be. And Jesus said, I haven't lost any of those you gave to me. The only one that's walked away is the one that was supposed to walk away. Verse 13, but now I am coming to you. So I kept them, I guarded them, but now Lord, I'm coming to you. Here's a transition. And this is, this is what I want you to see about this prayer that Jesus is praying for the 11. They are about to enter into a transition phase. Jesus has walked with them. He has talked to them. He has has kept them anchored to God. He has guarded them from those that would hurt them. Even even in the garden when Jesus is being arrested, remember what Jesus says? Let these go. You, You came after me. Take me. Let these go. Jesus is protecting his disciples till the very end. And Jesus says, Father, here it is. I I have done these things. I'm I'm about to lay down my life for these guys. But we can't leave them alone. I'm about to die. And and there's going to be a gap between my death and the coming of the Holy Spirit that will dwell in them. And Father, I need you to fill that gap. I need to make sure that they're not alone. It blows me away to think that in his moment of greatest need, Jesus knows what is waiting for him hours away. He is still concerned, not about himself, but he's concerned about his disciples. He's praying for them, and he's praying that that God will fill the gaps that are going to be left behind when Jesus dies. Father, I've kept him, I've guarded him, but now I'm coming to you. And these things that I speak in the world, I speak that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world. The truth of God's word, follow me on this. It unites believers. But it also separates believers from non-believers. So while the word of God unites us as believers because we have a common faith, a common truth, we have a, a, a body of truth in the word of God that's, that's revealed to us who God is and who Jesus was. And that should unite us as believers. It's also what calls us out of the world and makes us different. So here's what he's saying. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. Follow me on this, okay? Jesus has spoken the truth in public. These 11 have bought into it. They have received it. They have believed it. The rest of the, the group, the rest of the, the bulk, i say, of, of the world did not receive it. Now, here's, here's Why? The Jews had their set of beliefs, and they believed that salvation was going to come to them through the keeping of the law. They had a, a, a salvation of works. If we keep the law good enough and our, our good outweighs our bad, then at the end of time, when God places everything on the scales of justice, we will, we will come out okay, and we will, we will be with God. And Jesus said that the Jews had trusted in the traditions of man. They started with the Torah. And they added to it the traditions of man. So that by the time Jesus comes on the scene, the, the expectations and the laws and the rules were just so huge. Remember in Matthew 11 that we talked about for uh, several weeks back. Uh, Jesus, we, we talked about how Jesus said that the Pharisees piled on this heavy load. And Jesus says, if, if you're weary and you're heavy laden, come unto me and find rest. Why? Because the Pharisees had piled up such a big load upon them of all these rules and regulations. And they thought that by keeping those things, they would be all right with God. And Jesus comes and says, let me give you the truth. The truth is you're so sinful, you can't save yourself. The truth is that, that, that you don't even have enough to, to make a down payment on salvation, Salvation's not by works, Jesus says. It's by grace and grace alone. And that set up Jesus at odds with the Pharisees. They had their truth, and Jesus had the truth. Those that believed the truth were united around that truth, but those that did not were separated from it. And, and, and something happens when, when there's two, two ideas that are thrown out there as both being truth. What happens when you have two competing things that are both saying they're true? The Jews are saying salvation by works, and Jesus saying salvation by grace. And when you have those two things competing, then, then it creates it creates a division and it makes things hostile. And it makes the one group hate the other group. But what happens in this is this that the world turns on the disciples and the world hates the disciples. But something interesting happens. The disciples do not act in kind. They act kind, but they do not act as the world acted. The world hated the disciples because they bought this body of truth and the disciples bought Jesus' truth. And the world hated the disciples for buying that. But guess what the disciples did? They loved those that believed something different. They loved those who had not yet come to that understanding. Truth divides. And when you have two different sets of truth that are put out there, it can create great division, and it can create hostility and anger and hatred. And so what God does is give us one body of truth for the church to build around. And that one body of truth is the Word of God, and if we will continue to come back to the Word of God and make that our central focus, then we will be united But if we choose other truths to build our and take our stance on, then we are going to be divided. Now, I don't want to put my finger in a hornet's nest. That's not what I'm trying to do here. But I want to say to you, we live in a world right now where there are multiple alternatives of truth. Politically, with our COVID virus, with all these other things. And if those man-made truths or man-made opinions become the thing that we're going to die for, then we will be divided but if we will keep coming back to the truth of god's word saying you know what here's the truth of god's word i don't i, I don't know what's true about covid or about a mask or about a vaccine or i may not we, we've got opinions those things can divide But the truth of God's word is going to pull us together. And it's got to take priority over every other opinion that man throws out there. And if we don't do that, then we will find ourselves divided and hostile toward one another. Looking with suspicious eyes on somebody who doesn't do it the way that I do it. Or doesn't see it the way that I see it. That's the danger. And that's what Jesus is going to pray about here in this prayer. He says, look, I've I've given you your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of this world just as I'm not of the world. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Listen, here's here's the deal. There is nothing, I believe, nothing Satan would have enjoyed more. Picture this. Satan, these these 11 now are secure in in Christ. They are born again. They They are believers. They've bought in. And the world's going to attack them for doing that. And there's nothing that Satan would have loved more than for them to just fight back at the world. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You're going to be mean to me, I'm going to be mean to you. You're going to treat me with content. You're going to push me aside. You're going to kick me out of the church. You're going to do all those kind of things to me because I'm, I'm saying that, that Jesus is, is right and, and Judaism is, is lacking. Well, then we'll just kick you out of our group and we'll just keep what we've got for ourselves. Nothing Satan would have liked more. He couldn't change the destiny of those 11 men. But he could keep them from loving the world and taking the gospel to it. Listen, guys, if we get sidetracked on stuff other than the gospel, the church will suffer. And the lost world will die never hearing about Jesus. They may hear my opinion about a mask. They may hear my opinion about a vaccine or my opinion about COVID or my opinion about a politician. They don't need that stuff. They need to know about Jesus because they are sinful and they are dying without Jesus. And Jesus is praying that these guys can keep the main thing, the main thing. And so he says, Father, I'm asking that you will guard them. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm not asking you to isolate them from the world. We're not talking about some little cult we're going to move into and have our own little compound so that we can be isolated from the world. That's not what I'm asking for. I'm asking you to protect them in the world because they're not of this world. They're different now. I've changed them. They belong to another world. There's another kingdom that they're living for. He says, they're not of this world, just as I'm not of this world. That's twice Jesus has said that. So sanctify them in the truth. To be sanctified means to set them apart. Let your word call them out of this world. Let your word transform them in such a way that they don't fit in this world anymore. Just as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I sanctify Consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Jesus is praying for these guys. I need for you to imagine with me just for a moment what it would have been like to be in that room with Jesus. And to hear him praying for you. When I think about that, it takes me back to a a moment in my childhood. And I've mentioned this several years back, but our our whole family had gone on vacation together my my parents and my grandparents and and my uncle and aunt and cousins. And I I don't remember where we were at, but I remember there was a picnic table in the backyard and we were all sitting out there eating some watermelon and stuff. And and I looked up at my, my grandfather. We called him Poppy, he had disappeared. I love my poppy. he was a picker, he was a kidder, he was one of those guys that would just he just he was my hero. But he he disappeared. We were outside goofing around doing stuff and he disappeared and I looked up my I couldn't find him and being a little grandkid I wanted to find him and I, I remember going in the house that we had rented and we were staying at. And I looked in the house and I called for him. I couldn't find him and I was looking in each bedroom and I remember going into one of the bedrooms. Beside that bed, my poppy was on his knees and he was just praying. And I just walked in quietly and I caught him praying. And I don't remember all that he said. But one thing I'll never forget. He called me by name before the Father. He was listing each of his grandkids. He was praying for me. I was outside goofing off, eating watermelon, doing my thing. And my puppy was on his knees and he was praying for me. God let me walk in in time to hear him call my name. And I've never forgotten that moment. I cannot imagine what it would be like for the disciples to have Jesus praying specifically for them and for what they were about to go through and what they were, were, were going to experience in this transition. And, and Jesus' heart here is, Father, we can't leave them alone. They, they, they're, they're, they've bought in and they've got it, but they're not fully mature and they're not ready. My time has come, and I'm going back to you, but but they're not there yet. And, and, and I need you, Father, to, to do what, what I've been doing. Look at, look at all the ways that Jesus describes in this passage. If you've got your your Bible, follow with me here. In verse 6, I've manifested your name to them. Look what Jesus has done. Verse 8, I've, I've given them your words, and, and they've received them and believed them and know them. Uh, verse 9, I'm praying for them. Verse... verse uh, 12, I've kept them and I've guarded them. Verse 19, I consecrate myself for them. I'm sending them into the world. Jesus says, I've done it all for them. But Father, I'm fixing to leave. And I've promised them that I wouldn't leave them alone. That I wouldn't leave them as orphans. So Father, I need you to step in here in this gap. In this time, I need you to step in between, between the time I go and the time you send the Spirit. I need you to step in, Father, and, and fill this role for them. And they listen as Jesus prays for them. And He's not praying for the rest of the world. This is not one of those blanket prayers, God bless the missionaries. This is Jesus praying for Peter. Remember when Jesus told Peter, Peter, Satan has, 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 has requested to sift you, but I have prayed for you, Peter. This is Jesus interceding for them, just like Jesus intercedes for us right now. It's Jesus asking the Father to do what, what only God can do for these guys because they're going to need him. There There is, there is so many things that take place here in, in this prayer that we could never unpack them all. But, but in this prayer, we see in Jesus this, this humility and this submission and this deep, deep love that he has for those that the Father has given to him. We see Jesus' humility and he says, Father, all I have has come from you. You gave them to me and and everything that's mine is, has come from you. Jesus is, is, is understanding who the Father is and how great the Father is. We see Jesus' submission to the Father. I've, I've manifested your name. That's what you sent me to do. I've made you known, Father. I came from you. You sent me. I'm coming back to you. I, I'm, I'm praying to you, which means I'm submitted to you. And I'm asking you, Lord, for, for great things for these, these men. We also see in this prayer Jesus' deep love for God and for his disciples. He says to the Father, I've, I've given them your words that you gave to me. These, these guys that are, that are mine, they're, that I'm stewarding, Lord, that I'm discipling, they're, they're yours. Everything that's mine is yours. Father, I've kept them, I've guarded them, I've fed them, I've taught them, I've corrected them, I've walked with them, I've discipled them. But now I'm coming to you, and I'm asking that you protect them, that you keep them from the evil one. Don't let them respond as Satan would want them to respond, but let them respond as we've shown them to respond. Sanctify them, set them apart. And Lord, I'm going to sanctify myself. I'm going to show them just how set apart that I am. In this prayer, Jesus, he he shows the, the centrality of God's word. Again and again in this part of the prayer, Jesus goes back to the word of God, to truth, and he equates the word of God with truth. I've given them your words, and they believe that they're true. I've given them your truth, and you sanctified them by it. He goes back again and again and again to the word of God and shows us how important the word of God is. I've given them the words that you've given me, and they've received them. They've come to know. They've believed. I've given them your word, and that word caused them to come out of the world. It's made them like me, where we don't fit into this world. I ask you to sanctify them by the truth, which is your word. Jesus shows the centrality of the word of God. We can summarize the major components of this prayer by just saying this, that that Jesus says, I've manifested, I've made known, I've revealed to them your name, the name that you gave me. I've revealed that to your children, the ones that you've given to me that still belong to you. I've done that through your word, which they've kept, they've received, they've come to know, and they've believed. I gave them your word, and it, it, it changed them. It called them out of this world. It made them different. It set them apart. And I've revealed your deep love, the love that would cause you to send your only son to die in their place. And they're about to see that happen before their eyes. Jesus manifested all of those things. And he says, I'm praying for these believers. You've given them to me out of the world. They're not of the world, but yet, Lord, they're going to remain in this world. Let that sink in. They they have been called out of the world because they're not of this world, yet they've got to live in this world. So here we are as believers who are called out of the world, made different than the world, and yet asked to live in the world as a testimony and example to the rest of the world. He says, they were yours, you gave them to me. All I have now is, is yours. It's from you. Those you gave are yours. All are mine that are yours, and all yours are mine. And I've spent my time now, Lord, guarding them and teaching them and discipling them and helping them to be like me. And when I gave them your word, and they believed it, the world has hated them. Because the truth not only unites those that believe it, but the truth also separates those that believe it from those that don't if your greatest goal is to fit in in this world and be accepted by this world that can't happen if you really believe the truth of God's word if you choose to live God's word the way that God tells us to live it you will not be in you'll be in this world but not of this world you won't be one of them The difference is that the world may hate us because of what we believe. But guys, we can't hate the world because they see it different than we see it. We've got to love them. So what made Jesus different than the rest. Jesus differed from the Jews of that day. What did the Jews do? They hated Jesus. What did Jesus do? He loved them. And he died for them. He hung on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. They don't understand. They don't see the full implications of what they're saying and what they're doing. And he calls us to do just the same, to love them that way. One of the Bible scholars I read this week says that the unity that, that, that we have as we are connected to the same truth, to the truth of God's word, The the unity that Christ is praying for is grounded in the salvation that we share in common. And he said it produces four things in the life of a believer. It produces a common love for the Lord. If I'm committed to the truth of God's word and I've come into a relationship with God, that creates in me a common love for the Lord. So you and I may not agree on on things politically. We may not agree on other things out there. but we come together with a common love for the Lord. There's other denominations out there who may see things different than we see things. But if they believe that Jesus was the Messiah and they believe that salvation is not through works, that it's through grace and faith, then we share something in common with them, even though we may share some things that aren't in common with them. So we share a common love for the Lord. We share a commitment to God's word. That's why when we come together and we study, whether as a large group or we study in our small groups, there needs to be a constant commitment to the Word of God. Not just to my, well, I believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is what Scripture says. And we've got to keep coming back to that. Well, I feel, all right, but what does Scripture say? That's what we need to go back to again and again. It's a common love for the Lord, a commitment to God's Word, it creates an affection or a love for God's people. And the last thing that Jesus mentions in this prayer is that it creates a separation from everything ungodly. Not from people, but from ungodliness. I don't want to let sin reign in my life. I don't want to let those attitudes and those thoughts that, that, that were a part of my old man still influence the new man. Jesus prays for these things. Lord, Give them a common love for you. Give them a commitment to God's word, its truth. Give them an affection and a love and a unity for one another. And Lord, let them be sanctified by truth. Set apart. Let their new measuring stick be the word of God and not the opinions of man. And all those things happen. And we'll see in next week's passage that that even what it produces in us is a love for the lost. A love for those who oppose us, who hate us, who shun us, who ridicule us. And he says, Father, keep them from Satan. Don't let Satan sow in their hearts these seeds of discord, these seeds of hatred and suspicion of one another. Let them keep the main thing, the main thing. And he closes his prayer by praying for their sanctification. That they could be sanctified in the truth. And then he says, your word is the truth. Here's why we have a quiet time each day. It's not that God made a rule and says, you need to have a quiet time every single day. You need to pick up your Bible and read it every day. And as you do, you check it off and you get points. That's not why we have a quiet time. The reason we spend time in God's word every day is that it's in those moments That God shows us our self and our sinfulness. And he reveals to us his holiness and his character and his attributes. And then he calls us to be like him. And it's in those moments when I read scripture and I go, ooh, this is Rob. (sighs) And this is what God calls me to be. It's in those moments that I set myself apart from who I was. To become who God has created me to be. That's the process of sanctification. It is a lifelong process that will not end until glorification when we get to be with the Father. So there's salvation, there's sanctification, and one day there will be glorification when we stand in the presence of God. Jesus is praying that these men could be sanctified, that they could continually be Set apart, made different than the world. That their old man would be put to death. That this new man would arise and shine. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. Everything is made new. And that's what Jesus is praying here would happen in these men. So he says, as you sent me to the world, I'm, I'm sending them into this world. And for their sake, I'm going to model, continue to model, what it means to be set apart. Jesus knew he was not of this world. He was not going to respond the way the world would respond. They were going to mock him, and he would remain silent. They would strike him, and he would not strike back. They would ridicule him blaspheme him and he would just remain silent different than his accusers that's not easy to do for any of us but Jesus did it he modeled it for us he showed us that truth and showed us how to live that out so here's these disciples headed into this transition time Up to this point, Jesus had done everything for them. Right there with them, taking care of their every need. And now he's about to return to the Father. And he's praying that the Father would still meet those those basic needs that they have. That he would supply their need. That he would protect them from the, the evil one. And he would anchor them to the truth that they would need to understand in order to broadcast that to the world, that more people might come to Jesus. They belong to the Father. I've I've met a lot of pastors and youth pastors. And, and I don't think they mean this wrong. But sometimes we'll say, well, my people, my church, they're mine. And they're not. I, I get the privilege of being your pastor. And, and God has given you to me to nurture, to care for, to disciple, to feed. But you're not mine. Right? You're his. And and I'm just called to try to be the best steward that I can be of those that God entrusts to my care. And Jesus understood that. And he's called us as pastors and our deacons and our elders to model that for our church so jesus says father they're yours you've given them to me now i'm entrusting them back to you and soon i know they'll be filled with the holy spirit and, and he will care for them just as we did but here's the point of what jesus is praying he's saying father we can't leave them alone and here's the good news we've never been alone Not for one minute. Jesus promised, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And he has not. They were never alone. They were never on their own. They were never without one of the Godhead right there caring for them. And neither are we ever alone. Now it's different for us than it was for them. They were about to go through a transition where Jesus was taken out. The Holy Spirit had not yet come. But for you and I, the moment that we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is given as a gift for us, and he remains in us. As a deposit, Scripture says, guaranteeing what is yet to come. And so we are never alone. Uh, even though the world would forsake us, God will not. Even though friends might walk away, God remains true. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. He makes known to us the truth of God's word. And he empowers us to love even those who might attack us or those who would come against us. And as we see next week, the Holy Spirit will come to live in us and enable us to do what is not natural for humans to do. And that is to love those who come against us. To love those who see differently than we see. And not just to tolerate them, but to genuinely love them with the love of Christ. To love them enough that we take the gospel to them. The first verse of next week just to give you a glimpse. He says, Jesus says, I'm not just praying for these 11. But also for those who will believe in me through their Word. Angry people don't share the gospel. Those who hate their enemies don't share the good news with their enemy. Jesus is saying, guard them from the enemy. That they might love the way that we love. They might be set apart the way that we're set apart. And they might share the gospel through their life. That God loved them enough to come and die in their place. Guys, listen. Listen. Jesus prays for the eleven. But right now, today, Jesus intercedes for you and me. I believe his intercession today is a lot like his intercession then. You know why? Because the names and the faces and the locations have changed. But the heart of man has not. The opposition to the church has not. The needs that we face today are the same needs that the apostles faced Back then. And I believe that that we're getting a glimpse of how Jesus intercedes for us even now by looking at how Jesus interceded for the disciples back then. So you have one that is interceding for you right now. Just like for me as a little kid, I had my poppy that was interceding for me. And I got a glimpse into what he was praying for and how he was praying for me and for my cousins and my parents and my aunts and uncles. And because of God's word, I get a glimpse of how Jesus is interceding for me and how he's interceding for you and how he's making sure that every need that we have, the Father provides. Aren't you glad that our Savior is not done? His work on earth is done, but he's not done. This very moment, right now, in the holiness of this moment, he is praying for you. Let that sink in. Right now. If you and I could be transported to heaven... And just given the opportunity to look into that throne room, you might get the blessing that I got as a little kid of hearing Jesus call your name before the Father. And He knows you better than you know yourself, He knows what you need. And He is pleading with the Father that you get exactly what you need. Let's pray.